Thank you for leading us this morning. Uh, If you have a Bible, I encourage you to open up to Matthew chapter 5. If you're new to the Bible, uh, the book of Matthew is the first book in the New Testament, which is about three quarters of the way into the Bible. Bibles are confusing. If you're new to them, the big numbers are called chapters. The little ones are called verses. And so we're in chapter 5, verse 8. We will walk through that text in just a moment. We're in the middle of a sermon series walking through what is called the Beatitudes of Jesus. Jesus gives this description of this flourishing, godly, good, deeply satisfying life. And we're going to jump into that in a second. Uh, Just a couple of quick things on today's bulletin. If you are interested in learning more about what is baptism, if you're interested in possibly professing your faith as a Christian through baptism, I encourage you to come to a class out here in the foyer. I'll be teaching it, so just look for me. Also, if you're uh, just wanting a refresher, what is the Lord's Supper? What is baptism? Join me today. And then the congregational meal and meeting that's in the bulletin is a few weeks out on November the 13th. Let me just pray for God to join us here. Lord, we believe that your word uh, is a gift, and yet we also know we need your help to understand your word. Uh, we need the Spirit's help to obey your word. Uh, people here today are uh, coming back to church, maybe for the first time in a long time. Some may be the first time they've ever been to a church seeking God. And so we want them to find you, uh, but we know you need to reveal yourself. So would you do that to the person who's the first day seeking God or is here on their 10,000th day seeking God? Help us, we pray. Amen. Uh, The verse to which I'd like to draw your attention, Matthew 5, these are the words of Jesus. He says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now, I have a sneaking suspicion that this may be one of the harder verses for a Western person to understand. So we Westerners, were on this side of the Enlightenment. We like science. We like facts. And this Jesus of Nazareth in the first century is talking about seeing God. I'm guessing if someone were to show up at church this morning, they walk in and they're like, hey, I was at Casey's this morning, I was buying a donut, and I saw God. We wouldn't really know how to respond to that. Like, okay, was he in the sprinkles? In the chocolate frosting? Maybe you saw him over by the slushy machine. But why are we like that? I mean, it's because we have these, we look at the world through these Western lenses. Uh, Everything is so scientific. Everything is so black and white. And yet what I find is interesting is that today, yesterday, every day this week, you could find a very left-brained master's degree in electrical engineering sitting in a yoga studio right now in the lotus position trying to experience the divine. So in the midst of a scientific western world, there are these interesting little, you know, breaks coming through. Or consider this, there's, there's people who have PhDs in molecular biology, and on the weekend they are taking mind-altering drugs to have some sort of ecstatic experience. It's actually kind of a new craze. 
You know, we have some mushrooms for you to experience and see things you've never seen before. And so I'm not so quick to think that this is as shocking as it comes across at first. And yet we need to listen to what, what Jesus is doing here. Uh, he, he is talking about that there is something deeply spiritual about humanity. That there is this, this cry to see God. And no matter how much cement of mod, mod, modernism we put over this, over this spiritual soul, there is this organic spirituality that will break through the concrete. Have you ever noticed that, that I don't care how much concrete you put down on the sidewalk, there's always weeds, right? And if you, if you plant an oak tree under a sidewalk, you know it wins in the end, right? So there is this spiritual, organic reality of human nature that comes bursting forth, but Jesus is trying to direct it, right? So not all spirituality is good spirituality. Not all spiritual roads lead you to destinations you want to go on or to... Now, it could, could be quite different. And so, in the midst of Jesus teaching about this full, rich life, he, he comes to this idea of being pure in heart so that you can see God. Now, again, some people are going to look at some of these Beatitudes like, well, this is really practical. You know, we need more humble people. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. We need more humble people. Uh, we like meek people. We like people who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Last week, we talked about mercy and how practical it is to, to have mercy. Next week, we're going to talk about peacemaking. You know, but again, this one, how practical is this and how, how relevant is this? Well, I think it's really practical, deeply personal. And so I want to look at three kind of major points and then I'll try to develop it. Uh, the first thing I want us to see is that only seeing God will make you perfectly happy. Only seeing God will make you perfectly happy. Second, only the pure in heart will see God. And third, you can start seeing God today which is a bold statement to, that I'm making from the pulpit, but it's something I believe that God will allow people, can allow people to see him today and forever. First idea, only seeing God will make you perfectly happy. So let me just quickly define this idea. What does it mean to see God? I'm going to say there's three kind of tied ideas. What does it mean to see God? It, it's to be in his presence, to see his glory, and to taste his goodness. That's the three parts. So in his presence, seeing his glory, tasting his goodness. So we have this expression about seeing things, uh, about getting access or being in someone's presence. So if I were to call, I can't even remember my new doctor's name. They always keep moving. But I used to have a doctor named Dr. Morrison. And if I were to call and say, I would like to see Dr. Morrison today, it means I want, I want to be in her presence. I want to have access to her that day. I don't want the urgent care guys. I want, I want her. She's brilliant. Help me out. Right? So we have this idea of, so being in the presence means to see someone. But the idea of seeing his glory is the idea that God can manifest his character and his power in different ways. And when you see God, you see his glory and you kind of stand in awe um, seeing God. But, but it's not just seeing it. There, there has to be this move where you begin to, 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 to taste part of the goodness. It's not just external seeing, it's internal. There's something that moves the heart. You, you taste the goodness of God. Uh, 
Do you guys know what FOMO is? You guys ever heard that expression, FOMO, F-O-M-O? It stands for fear of missing out. Right? And uh, fear of missing out is a, is a real thing. Right? Fear of it, so FOMO. Uh, FOMO is when a, a, a teenager opens up her Instagram account and sees three of her best friends all at Orange Leaf eating ice cream without her. Uh, fear of missing out. It's a, it's a, it's a 14-year-old boy that is disappointed that his parents won't pay for Disney Plus and is behind on all of the recent Marvel television shows. Fear fear of missing out. But what's interesting is this FOMO, this fear of missing out, it causes people to spend thousands of dollars to see places. You know, I was actually, I was reading about a guy, he, he has a bucket list, and his bucket list has 220 items. He fears he's missing out on the real life if he doesn't see and experience 220 items. And the start of his bucket list, fear of missing out, is 34 locations he wants to see through travel. Now, some of them include Taj Mahal, Great Wall in China, the Great Barrier Reef, and the fjords of Norway. Got to see those things. FOMO cries for an experience that will take away our fears and satisfy all our wants. And Jesus steps into this and says, blessed, truly satisfied, only perfectly happy is if you can see God. Now, every religious system probably argues something similar. I don't know if you know there's a particular sect of Shiite Muslims. They actually take whips that have broken metal or glass in. They will whip their backs and they bloodlet themselves because they believe that somehow that purifies themselves so that they might see Allah, the one true God. Um, but you, you know, there's secular versions of this. We we have millionaires that have tasted almost every experience on Earth, so they think if they can fly into the atmosphere, they will experience what they've just been missing here on earth. And again, Christianity comes in and says, you're hungering to see God. If you turn to the end of the book, right, the last chapter of the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 22, this is what verses 3 and 4 say. Verse 3, it's talking about when God has reconstituted this new heaven and new earth, this resurrected creation, restored, renewed, beautiful, heaven and earth touching. What will it be like? It says, no longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city and the servants will serve him. They will see his face. It says his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will, they will not need the light of the lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Right? The entire Bible is pushing to seeing God face to face. The end of 1 Corinthians 13, it says, right now, those who know God, they can know him partly, but not fully. 1 Corinthians 13, 12, for we know For we now see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. 
only seeing God will make you perfectly happy. If you need a, a biblical example, I just want you to think of Moses. Some of you guys know your Bibles pretty well, but Moses talked with God at the burning bush. Moses saw all of the 10 plagues of Egypt, right? The darkness that covered the earth, the gnats and the frogs. He saw the water turn to blood. Then a little later, he saw the Red Sea part. He saw, you know, hundreds of thousands of people walk safely to that. He, he went to Mount Sinai. He got to go up to Mount Sinai where there was thunder and lightning, and he heard the voice of God. Yet when he had a moment to ask for something he wanted, do you remember what he said? He said, God, I want to see your glory. I mean, he probably experienced as many amazing, divine, beatific, powerful experiences of God ever, and yet he still says, I want to see more. I want to see God. He was desperate to see God. And I believe we're all desperate to see God. But let's just do a gut check before we move to the second idea. What do you think will satisfy that hunger for happiness? What do you have to see to be happy? What do you have to experience? Is it the White Haven, White Haven's Beach of Australia? Is it that Broadway show you've been dying to go see? Do you think it's going to be that most beautiful woman in your mind in the world that they choose you? Or do you believe that only seeing God will make you perfectly happy? I think before a person can ever make that turn to really know God and really seek God, they have to get to the point where they do. They look at everything out there and say, poof, that just isn't much. I think I mentioned this four or five weeks ago. If you need a lesson in unhappiness, just read People magazine. Right? All the wealthy people are sad. All the people who seem to have everything are disappointed. They're getting divorced. They're moving on to their fourth spouse. But sometimes we don't learn or we don't listen. And I just pray that God would open your heart to say, like, man, nothing else is going to satisfy. Nothing else will make me perfectly happy, deeply blessed. But there is an edge to what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 8, though. Second idea. Only the pure in heart will see God. Only the pure in heart will see God. That term pure, uh, used in different places in Scripture, it talks about the, talks about the absence of moral filth. Right? A, a cleanliness in thought, mind, affection. But it's also the idea of, of single-mindedness. It's, it's sincerity. Uh, it, you get that idea uh, at, the, at the beginning of 1 Corinthians 13, where, where Paul says, if you do all of these things, like you're the most generous, giving, sacrificial to the person in the world, you sell everything and you give it to the poor. If you don't do it with a pure love, if you don't do it out of actual sincerity for God, right, it's a, it's a, it's a clanging gong. It's nothing. It's no good. Only the pure in heart will see God. And usually there's kind of two ways that we sometimes hear that, right? 
The first way is we, we put on our religious ears and say, well, then I am going to be really obedient this week. Right, we pull up our moral bootstraps and we start doing everything. You know, we find out that this godly woman over here prays 25 minutes a day, so we're going to pray 50 minutes a day. That person tithes 10%, I'm going to give 20. That person encourages five people a day, I'm going to I'm going to do 10. And and we 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 just start running with religion. I would say that that's a good first step, but it's a really bad last step. The reason why I call it a good first step is you'll find out how impure you are by trying to live purely. Try to be patient for a day. And you will be like, oh my word, it is so hard to be patient. Try to be kind or gentle or generous. Again, I think that is a good first step, but it actually shows how far we really fall short. At that point, though, we can possibly do a dangerous turn. And I think this often happens, that people will grow up maybe in a religious household, grow up Protestant, Catholic, Evangelical, Mormon, whatever, and they've lived under the rules of their religion for a very long time. Sometime between 50 and 35 years old, they just get really ticked off. I'm not happy. This ain't working. God's too demanding. This is ridiculous. And they just take religion and they throw it in the garbage can and they, they turn on the, like the anti-religion or the irreligion or the just, I'm a relativist. I'm going to do whatever I want to experience whatever I can. And I would say in America, we, we have kind of two major things. There's kind of the religious people. There's the irreligious people. And the irreligious people never say they're irreligious. They just say, hey, we can all have our own God. It's okay to each his own. And that could be anything. That could go to the yoga thing. It could be the transcendental meditation thing. It could be using drugs for metaphysical experiences. But often it's, it's, we do those things so that we can really do whatever we want the rest of the week. And yet, Jesus doesn't hold back. He says, only the pure in heart will see God. Now, I think the first readers, the first listeners that were sitting there with Jesus in the first century, they would have said, we know this. We know this, Jesus. You know, Jesus is the new rabbi on the street, and he's saying the pure in heart will see God. They're like, we know. Right? They, they knew what it said in uh, Psalm 24. I'll just turn back there. Psalm 24, verse 3. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord, Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false heart or a false God. They would have been nodding their heads. And yet Jesus, if you read the Gospels, particularly just walking through the book of Matthew, he basically, Jesus spends a lot of his ministry just trying to help those religious people who are nodding their heads about, of course, only the pure in heart see God. He spends most of his time trying to convince the people they're not as pure as they think they are. 
You know, if you just turn just a few verses in Matthew 5, he says, I know you think it's just don't commit adultery, but I tell you, those who have lusted in their heart, or those who have lusted, they've committed adultery in their heart. I know you think you're big and impressive because you haven't killed your neighbor, but those bitter, malicious thoughts towards your neighbor, those are just as ugly, just as sinful. Later in Matthew 15, he says, I'm not impressed with your kind of religious rule keeping about what foods you eat. Because it's not what goes into your mouth that's ever going to make you unclean. But what comes out of your mouth tells what's going on in your heart. So all those words and those angers and those jealousies, that shows that that heart is tainted and broken. It's a foul spring. And so when we get to the end of this first idea, or second idea of only the pure in heart will see God, I hope any honest reader of the Bible can just say, I don't have a pure heart. Maybe I'll never get to see God. Jesus has to show up so that he can start giving good news. But he is saying you, the pure in heart will see God, which creates in your mind, like, well, then how? How, do, how could I see God today? How could I see God in the future? And I really do believe Jesus kind of leaves the door hanging here. I mean, or, or just leaves it hanging. Like, it's, there's, you, you, there is, the, <laughs> whether you're reading Matthew for the first time, whether you're hearing Jesus at the beginning of his preaching ministry, it's designed to, st- it's, it's like a hook. I better keep listening. Because right now I'm just, you know, caught the crosshairs. I'm, I'm in trouble. And so we have to go through the Bible and hear that there's some good news. So if you turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 15, verse 9, we, we have a, a very similar expression to what Jesus said, but we also, it comes with hope, not just a sword of judgment. And, and this, is, this is just a early into the church. The, the church has been born. People are following Jesus, Messiah. And there, there becomes this discussion about, well, who can really be a follower of God? Can only those religious Jews who eat the right things and dress the right way, are they the only ones that have access to God? Are they the only one that can get, get to that holy hill? And in the middle of that discussion, they're like, no, that's not how God works. Verse 9, God did not discriminate between us and them, that's those Gentile, non-Christians, non-Jewish. And it says, for he purified their hearts by faith. It's not all these religious works that can purify your heart. But it's not running away from God like it doesn't matter. There's this The hope here is the only way our hearts can be purified is by faith. By the way, this isn't faith in the tooth fairy. This isn't faith in the power of positive thinking. It's faith in Jesus. And and the reason why we got to believe in Jesus is we need someone to come in and give us a purity that isn't our own. We could call this alien purity not coming from us. Uh, we could call it received purity. You could call it imputed purity. I, I appreciated the, the, the passage that was read earlier in our time of confession 
uh, in, in Hebrews chapter 10. I'll, I'll reread it. You heard it already. But it says, therefore, brothers and sisters, it says, we can have confidence to enter the most holy place. How? By the blood of Jesus. Right? Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who did not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false. But I have been false. I have been clean. And the good news of Jesus is he comes and he lives and he dies for us. His blood is offered to those who would trust in him. And now it says you can have confidence to enter the most holy place. You can enter that place where God is that you might see him by the blood of Jesus. It, in verse 20 says, it is by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. So Jesus' body is, literally, is, is broken, crushed, crucified to open access to God. And then it says, and now, and since we have this great high priest over the house of God, it says, let us draw near to God. With a, look at this, what it says. If you, if you have been purified by faith, it says you can draw near to God with a sincere heart. Since you can sincerely go to God with a pure heart, single mind. I want to see him, and you can come through the blood. You come with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. You can have access to God's now through prayer, by faith. Um, let me just talk about something that's a little confusing. At least I thought it was confusing this week. Maybe you don't. But how much of God can we see before we die? You guys ever ask that question? Let me just give you two terms about seeing God. One is a, we can, there are mediated visions of God or seeing of God. And then there's unmediated. So mediated means partial, not full through something. Unmediated is this full face-to-face scene of God. We read about the unmediated scene of God in Revelation 22. And what I want you to hear is until we have been transformed, until we have been sharing the, you know, the, the full forgiveness and the resurrection bodies of Jesus uh, like Jesus has given to us, it, the Bible actually says if you were to see God fully now, you would just die. Like you can't handle that much glory and goodness and power it would kill you. The unmediated is the, in, in the future for those who have trust in God. It's when faith is turned to sight. Mediated means you can see God now, but through the eyes of faith. Through the eyes of faith. And there's really two ways in which we can see God now through the eyes of faith. One is through God's word, and other is through God's works. God's word and God's works. I would say most of you attending a, pretty, a Bible teaching church are, understand a little bit what we mean by you can see God through his word. That is, as you read God's word or God's word is preached to you, there is this work of God through the spirit and in your spirit where you begin to see things that are true. You begin to recognize reality because God's word ties your mind to what is true. And so for a lot of us, it started with seeing our guilt. And our sin and our shame. 
That was the pathway to seeing God's forgiveness and the goodness that Jesus died for us. And we see that through the eyes of the faith by believing his word. Now, simultaneously or similarly, you can see God in his works. You get a sense of God's majesty when you look at a mountain. You can like, at least I like to, I like to read history and you see God superintending in people's lives in powerful ways, answering prayer. There have been some people, read enough biographies, that have had some sort of beatific vision of God, but even that is a work that has to be confirmed by the word. Is God really like this? God really show up that way? So you could start seeing God today through his word, through his works, but it starts with this, the idea that you have to have a pure heart. God has to come in and purify you. He has to cleanse you, and you receive it. That's received purity. That's a, you know, if you, again, one last passage. Psalm 51. Some of you guys remember Psalm 51. This is the psalm that David composed after he had committed his most heinous sins in his life. At least the ones recorded. Stole a man's wife, killed the man, tried to cover it up. And in time, God brought conviction. God brought repentance. And in Psalm 51, he said, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and you are justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Later in verse 10, he just cries out, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. This great Old Testament saint just took a step back and said, I need you to give me a totally new heart. This wasn't a small do-it-yourself project. This was hiring the greatest general contractor in the universe to do an entire renovation of the heart. And he prayed. And I believe God answered. For some of you, that's the starting point today for seeing God is, Give me a new heart, God. Give me a new heart. That's the received purity that can only be received by faith. But I do want you to know that the Bible has a concept of growing in godliness. So if we have a received purity, there's also what we could call like a regeneration purity. There is a growing purity or imparted purity that we can grow in godliness over time, and it matters. All right, I lied. Another Bible verse. Listen to what Jesus says in John 14, 21. And and maybe this verse is for the Christian out there that feels like they haven't seen God in a really long time. That there's a staleness in your walk. There's actually hope here. Jesus says to his disciples, now to us, John 14, 21, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me, right? He's already talking to disciples. These are ones who've already been given new hearts. They've already been cleansed. But he says, if you love me, if you're you're marveling at who I am and what I've done, obey me. This is how you show your love. And then it says, the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. 
I too will love them, and look what he says, and show myself to them. Right? God says, as you pursue me, as you obey me, as you love me, as you grow in godliness, there are vistas of the glory of God that can be shown to you. The best way I can kind of explain that is, let's say Carrie and I today found out that in downtown Cedar Rapids at the Paramount, Yuja Wang was playing. You guys familiar with Yuja Wang? She is one of the greatest concert pianists alive today. And so we have the free tickets. So at some level, Carrie and I, we both have equal access to that concert. But I want you to know, she's going to enjoy it more than me. She has a tra- she's a trained classical pianist. She has grown in her musical appreciation. I'm going to sit there and go, well, that's impressive. And Carrie's going to look at me and be like, that's impossible. I believe that this is some of the promises held out for us to continue to grow in godliness and purity, to continue to love and obey, to continue to weed out sin. There are vistas of seeing God and his goodness and his glory in this life. We gotta love him, obey him. We will, God, Jesus says, I'm gonna come show you things. Father and son, I, think, I assume the spirit comes along too. You're going to see things about God. He's going to reveal things. So press on in your faith. Press on. You know, if you have a bucket list, that's okay. But if the number one on your bucket list is not, I want to see God, you're going to get off course. You're going to settle. But it might not just be settling. It might be condemnation. It might be loss of God and glory forever. And so at the top of our bucket list, I want to see God. So purify my heart, Lord, but I'm putting my faith in Jesus. I want to see you, God. I want to love you. I want to obey you. Work purity in me as I walk with you. Blessed are the pure in heart. They will see God. Father in heaven, Lord, would you reveal yourself to us today? Forgive, cleanse, give us new hearts. But also, Lord, those who have been walking with Jesus for a long time, would they have get fresh wind in their sails to love and obey you? Would you respond to their sincerity and reveal yourself to them? Show yourself to them, Father. Show yourself to them, Son. Reveal yourself to them, Spirit. You are so good. Your love endures forever. We really want to know that. We know that as finite creatures, I mean, we are grasping in the dark unless you choose to sovereignly reveal yourself. And so we ask, humbly pleading, Lord, can we see you? I pray when we've settled for other things on our bucket list, when we, our fear of missing out has been in things that are so paltry and passing, forgive us for that sin, it's idolatry, for you alone are worthy of our pursuit. So renovate our hearts, Lord Jesus. In Christ's name, amen.